Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Molly Jong Fast, no relationship to Kim Jong Un. I'm a left-wing pundit and a writer at the Atlantic and Vogue. And I'm Andy Levy, former Fox News and CNN HLN guy and current cable news conscientious objector. And I'm producer Jesse Cadden, and I'm here to make sure things don't go too far off the rails. We're here to have fun, smart conversations with the wisest and funniest people in science and media and politics that help make what's happening today clearer. Our world has been turned upside down, and on the new abnormal, we'll talk about the people who got us into this mess and how we'll hopefully get ourselves out of it. What a great show we have today! First, we're going to be joined by Dr. Aman Al Sadan, who performs abortions in Kansas, and they'll join us once again to tell us about what they're seeing on the ground. There. Then we'll talk to senior executive editor at Bloomberg, Tim O'Brien, who's an expert on all of Trump's legal woes, and he's going to tell us what he's seen there. But first, let's have some fun. Andy Levy, Molly Jongfest. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but Republicans now they want to defund the FBI. No. Yes. That's not possible. The back the blue crew. No longer so backing of the blue. <laughs> They instead are quite mad at the blue because their president, who is still president, uh, in their minds, they had there was a raid. Mar-a-Lago happened right after we finished taping last week. Thanks a lot, FBI. Perhaps this was all a conspiracy against us. Yes. You know, finish the tape, do this incredible interview <laughs> of one Charles Schumer, and then minutes later, the fucking FBI <laughs> raids Mar-a-Lago. I'm not saying that they're out to get us, but truly, we are the victims here. Unequivocally, a few things I'd like to say about this: Donald Trump has the warrant, the search warrant that was executed, and his lawyers have it, and he could release it. Today, he could just right. tweet it yeah. out as he has with many documents in the past. Yes, a hundred percent. They could easily make this public. They obviously don't want to because it's that would stop all the people from claiming that number one that they don't have the document, and number two that they don't know what this is about. And the theater on the right now is unbelievable. Starting with their big talking point. That they all independently apparently came up with, which is like everyone on Fox News,、uh, every Republican member of Congress on up, is if they can do this to the president, think what they can do to you. First of all, he's not the president, and <laughs> it would it would be nice if they would stop saying if they can do this to the president. They didn't do this to the president. They did this to a private citizen who happened to have been the president. So they're not doing this to the president. The president is Joe Biden. Right. The FBI did not execute a search warrant on the White House. Let's get rid of that right away. And anyone who says that is, you know, completely foolish. The idea that, like, if they did this to Trump, they could do this to you. Like, Trump has done so many very crimey things. Of course, the fact that nothing has ever happened to him at all, ever. Is a sign that actually this kind of thing almost never happens to wealthy white men. Right. 
And like the fact that they did this is a sign that maybe it won't happen to you, that maybe justice. Well, I don't know if it's a sign that won't happen to you, but it's certainly a sign that if you do a lot of very suspicious stuff, like leave with 15 boxes of classified information and you flout the law enough, sooner or later, someone might tell you you can't do that anymore. Yeah, especially as the New York Times is now reporting that a bunch of months ago that they did get a subpoena for documents that that the feds uh, thought he had with him at Mar-a-Lago that he had failed to uh, turn over. And so the fact is they gave him a subpoena and they still have reason to believe that he had more stuff that he did not turn over. Right. There may be a mole in the White House. A lot of people are saying it's barren. I am not not <laughs> saying it's barren, right. but I don't think certainly nobody is saying that. Nobody Molly. is saying it's barren, but <laughs> dark barren rises. Dark barren is rising. Yeah, if it were barren, no one would blame him. But yeah, I mean, there is some speculation there might be a mole in the White House. Who that is, no one knows. Not Probably the White House. <laughs> Mar-a-Lago in the Winter White House. Mar-a-Lago. Yes, in Mar-a-Lago. The search is exactly what it needed to be, and it was done. Purposely, while Trump wasn't there and while I believe the Mar-a-Lago itself was closed, they they did it as to be as sort of, you know, you, you can only be so inobtrusive when it's the former president. But everyone on the right is like, look what they're doing to him. Look what they're doing to him. This is all politics. It's like they, they went out of their way to make sure he wasn't there to make sure they were as minimally disruptive as possible. I mean, let's face it, they they bent over backwards a lot more for Trump than law enforcement would have done if it were you or me. So again, the whole, if they can do this to Trump, they can do this to us. Yeah. If they wanted to search my apartment, they wouldn't have waited to make sure that I didn't have guests there first. I mean, they could show up anytime and I wouldn't have guests, but they don't know that. Well, they probably do. (laughs) How do you know they're not here now? They probably are. I'm fairly certain my cat is a mole. Yes, exactly. But I mean, no, and they didn't wear the FBI jacket. Right. We've come to one of these moments where reality and the right are at diametrically opposed, right? We have reality. He took all these classified boxes. He said, go fuck yourself. They subpoenaed to get the boxes back. They got some of it back. They were told they didn't have all of it back. They got now this uh, surveillance footage from Mar-a-Lago and more things they got. The reality is, like, they got a lot of stuff. What this means, no one knows, right? Nobody really knows. Does, is it a larger case? Is this just presidential records? We don't know. No one knows. Right, right. And speculating makes us all look like assholes because we just don't know. But ultimately, the right is behaving in a way that does not match what has happened. And I think that is clear. Absolutely. And it's, look, that's what they do. So it's, I guess, not much of a surprise. But to see people who are on, like, the House Judiciary Committee and things like that who are supposed to be, you know, in positions of responsibility, just out there shouting out the the most just completely untrue stuff. Look, it's bad enough when it's the Jesse Waters of the world and people like that. You sort of expect that at this point. And I mean, I'm, I am, as an aside, I'm laughing at the whole, there was that thing a week or two ago about Murdoch had soured on Trump. And I just laughed at that. 
Because that is clearly not the case on Fox News, which is the only part of the Murdoch empire that matters. I'm sorry, Wall Street Journal. Right. You're really breaking into them. You just don't have the reach of Fox News. Fox News is full on in uh, civil war mode now. You know, this is the this is the worst thing that has happened to the republic in in our history, and all this stuff. And it's just it's it's absolutely pathetic, is what it is. But it it goes back to and I, you know we've talked about this before. They constantly have to be victims. They have to be everything has to be a plot against them. And and this comes from the top. This comes from da- Daddy Trump, you know, who who is the biggest victim in the history of the United States. And we had, I think it was. It was either Eric, I think it was Don Jr., but it might have been Eric saying that, like, the Trump family has been through, you know, this country has put the Trump family through more bad stuff than any other family in in history. It's like, none of you deserve any of the success that you've had. And for you to sit here and say that you've been put through hell by this country is just, it's absolutely, it's like, it's beyond belief. As someone who has benefited from some of the similar situations that the Trump family has. I mean, obviously, my family is not criminals and they're not, you know, depreciating the assets of their real estate to take a tax write off. But I did come from like a parent who was successful, etc. You are almost always given special treatment. Like, and especially the Trumps. I mean, those guys fucking like the, you know, the idea that, that you could go up there and weep about how hard your life is when you've never, ever done anything. Like, you've never yeah. had a real job. is like, pretty spectacular. And the thing I'm always impressed with these, with these guys is, like, nobody ever— you never see Eric, like, being like, well, I went to private schools, my parents were rich, I never really had to do anything. You know, like, you never see him at all, like, any kind of self-consciousness. Like, if that were me, no. and again, I don't come from— money like the Trumps did, but like, you know, I would be like a little bit like, this is really a con. Yeah. And it's like, at least be self-aware enough to know that it's a con and, you know, just sort of at least admit it to yourself. And so then you can stop pretending otherwise to others. This is far from the subject now, but Don Jr., Eric, they, they have accomplished nothing in life. They have no discernible skills that I can tell. And yet they're both wealthy and have all the other trappings of success that the American dream is supposed to promise everyone. And they still sit there and act like they're victims. Like, yeah. at least just shut the hell up. Right. That's and my just be like, too. Yeah. Just shut the hell up. Don't act like you're a victim when literally everything has been handed to you your entire life. That's Donald Trump also. And that's why, to circle back to the actual story, when something like this happens to Donald Trump, there's this absolute outrage and like this this sense of how dare you? Do you know who I am? Right, right, right. That there should be special rules. Yeah, which is sad enough coming from the Trump family themselves, but to hear all these sycophants and bootlickers on on Fox News and and throughout conservative media. Going along with it is just, it's so pathetic. It's, as as the kids say, it's very cringe, Molly. <laughs> yes, it's very cringe. And it's also just absolutely very, very, very silly. So the Trump family, very stressed out. Marjorie Taylor Greene, very fierce. Oh, the one thing I was going to say, which I think is an important thing to realize, is that most of the sort of grown-ups in the room, the Mitch McConnells, 
have not come to Trump's defense. The people who have come to Trump's defense are people like Marco Rubio, who's running for re-election, and Ted Cruz, but not the sort of more, I don't want to say intellectual, but the less sleazy members or the less openly sleazy members of the Republican Party, which leads me to think that this defending Trump is a way to play to the base and not necessarily a like that these other people may be like they may be keeping their powder dry for a reason. I think that's probably true. I, I think it's it is hard to come up with a word to sort of separate the Mitch McConnells of the world from like the Kevin McCarthy's and the Ted Cruz's of the world. But I know what you mean. Right. McConnell is not a stupid man. He's just an evil man. He recognizes reality. Like that's one thing he does do, even though his beliefs are disgusting. But I agree with you. I th- I think the fact that someone like McConnell is not out there is letting us know, look, we all know that the FBI did not go to Mar-a-Lago on a whim. Right. And the FBI did not show up with a bunch of backpacks that were pre-filled with evidence they were going to plant. Wait, they didn't plant evidence? I mean, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. We know this because we all know Donald Trump is guilty. And you can be as far left or as libertarian as you want about law enforcement. And and I'll probably agree with you. But we also, we know that this, this search was properly vetted. And we know that they would not have done this if they didn't have, I would think, fairly solid evidence that they were going to find stuff. Right. And the fact that they left with a bunch of boxes of stuff and a manifest of what they took shows that, yes, there was stuff there that they needed to take. And, you know, the New York Times has an article, I think it's, is it Maggie Haberman, I think? Maggie Haberman and a couple others wrote a piece, and and there's a line in there that basically says, some senior Republicans have been warned by allies of Mr. Trump not to continue to be aggressive in criticizing the Justice Department (laughs) because it's possible that more damaging information related to the search will eventually become public. Can I just say that I remember so well where I was when James Comey held that press conference, and I remember thinking, like, this is going to hand Trump the election. Yeah, I just remember saying it's over. Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought there's no way she can ever be elected now. Like, they have just— Yeah. And, you know, they never even fucking filed charges. <laughs> they were just like, you know— And then him being like, I would feel terrible if this cost her the election. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. All right, I, I'm cutting you guys off. You can't talk badly. of Resistance hero James Kobe here. He sucks. <laughs> this is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When picking a commerce platform for your business, you have two choices. Or, I prefer, don't you? That's the sound you'll hear when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell, online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Shopify is the best all-in-one commerce platform capable of handling your business's complexity no matter how big you grow. Step up to Shopify and harness the best converting checkout and the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands like Rothy's, Allbirds, Brooklinen, and so much more. You're probably thinking, sure, but migrating is going to be a headache. Shopify's app store has the migration apps you need to migrate your products, orders, customers, and more from every major e-commerce platform to Shopify. If you're anything like me, you're one of those don't put me in a box people. Everyone who knows me knows. I'm a don't put me in a box person. And thankfully, Shopify never will, because with Shopify, control of your brand and business is always in your hands, from your storefront look to your back office operations. I hate when checking out from an online store and then having to pull out my credit card and type in all those numbers. A Shopify store remembers my shipping address and payment information. So if I'm on the couch and my wallet is on the kitchen counter... I don't even have to get up. Stop leaving sales on the table. Switch your business to Shopify and discover why millions trust Shopify as their all-in-one commerce platform to build, grow, and run their business. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash abnormal, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com slash abnormal, all lowercase. Shopify.com slash abnormal. Dr. Aman Al-Sadin performs abortions in Kansas. Welcome to the new abnormal Dr. Al-Sadin. Thank you for having me. We're so happy to have you. And I wanted to just talk to you about what it's like in this post-Roe America. I have to say I get chills when I say it. Yeah, it's pretty dystopian, except it's reality, unfortunately. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so things, I mean, we had a huge victory in Kansas last week, which was helpful and hopefully can be used as a blueprint to help guide the rest of the country to get back some abortion access and get back some reproductive rights. But yeah, I mean, in my region, which again is Kansas, Arkansas, Oklahoma, and then Western Missouri, we were already sort of in this post-Roe reality even before Roe v. Wade got overturned. Because of Texas, right? Well, because of Texas and then also Oklahoma actually stopped We actually stopped providing services in Oklahoma after Governor Stitt signed SB 1503, which was the six-week copycat from Texas. And then as soon as we were going to restart services under six weeks, he signed another bill that was House Bill 4327, which was a total ban on abortions. And so we had already stopped services there because, you know, to comply with the law. We were providing in Kansas and Arkansas. Now, in Arkansas, the day that Roe fell, services were interrupted. There were many patients 
auditions that were scheduled that day. I don't know if you know this, but there's a two day, you have to have a visit for day one. And then on the second day you return and get your abortion um, as a patient in Arkansas, which is in the hopes of getting you to change your <laughs> mind, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's all these laws are designed to, you know, it's like, because people that drove six hours right. didn't think long enough about, right. <laughs> about right. how they wanted an abortion. They need an, another 24 hours <laughs> to do that. That's so great. Yeah. But you can walk right out with an AR-15. You can definitely get a gun whenever you feel like it. No right. problem. And also the other thing to speak to that for one second is, you know, abortion providers, unlike most doctors, sometimes we have bulletproof vests right. because zealots. You don't want to get killed. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't really want to get killed. I'd like to die a natural death someday, <laughs> eventually. Because <laughs> it's body armor, like you need an account and like verification to get a bulletproof vest. So you can walk into a Walmart and buy a gun, no issues, but you cannot get a bulletproof vest as a medical provider without having like an account and verification that through a security company, there's like all these hoops to jump through. I almost fell on the ground when I learned that. I mean, I almost passed out. I almost died. <laughs> My unnatural death. <laughs> One of the things that I think has been really interesting, I thought, and I interviewed you and I interviewed a lot of people about what this, and I wrote a lot about, you know, for that whole year between Texas and, and the Supreme Court overturning Roe, I wrote a lot about what I thought it would look like, what overturning Roe would look like. The thing I've been the most surprised by really is the doctors in hospitals who refuse to treat. I find that rather surprising as well. I don't want to knock, you know, any of my colleagues, but I think we're allowing the government too much to define what an abortion is or what right. a pregnancy is or what a viable pregnancy is. Uh, an ectopic pregnancy is not a viable pregnancy. It's like so far away from the realm of abortion. I mean, there's no ectopic pregnancy that can ever survive outside of the fallopian tubes. No, yeah, no. You know, I just find it wild that we're allowing the government to so heavily impose abortion, pregnancy, like what the definition of those things are, rather than we're the medical establishment, right? Like we define what those things are, like our certification bodies define what those things are, not the government. So I think we're just allowing the government to like step on our toes a little bit too much when we have the situation where people aren't treating ectopic pregnancies and people are hesitating about treating miscarriages and hesitating about delivering life-saving care. I mean, that's not a good look. Yeah, it's pretty shocking. Actually, Robin Marty came on this podcast. She wrote this book, The Handbook for, I'm sure you know who she is. She wrote the, this book, The Handbook for Post-Row America. And she told me that when a lot of these women will go to the hospital and she's in Alabama. So again, it's not the same as being in, you know, a sort of more urban area. But uh, she said that the doctors won't treat if they think you've had any kind of, you know, that they just send you home, which is does seem like uh, a that seems like it will end with women dying. Yeah, I, I do think that the medical community, we all need to just defend what we know. You can treat abortion complications, you can treat ectopic pregnancies, you can treat miscarriages, you can deliver follow-up abortion care. Like these things are all allowed in states even where abortion is prohibited. So we just need to like step up and accept that and start doing that as a whole entire medical community. And then the concept that there's someone who's undergoing an emergency that wouldn't deliver care to a patient, that's completely against all the principles of being a doctor. I would hope that those people I don't know. Don't exist. I don't even know. Right. What 
How have you seen things change since the Supreme Court? Well, oh, like I was saying before, in Arkansas, we had to stop care that day. We had to reschedule all of these patients, like to Kansas or whatever their closest abortion clinic was. The staff was crying outside and vaping a lot. It's hard to tell people that we like can't provide. Yeah, Everyone was vaping. It was like a vaping festival. <laughs> it's hard to tell people that we can't provide care to them. Like it's hard to be the person that's actually saying no. And the staff was tasked with like calling all the patients and telling them that, hey, we can't provide your care. These are your, these are your options. So we've seen this like sort of immediate change. And then you know, it's now normal to see multiple people from Texas every single day when I'm in clinic in whatever Kansas clinic I'm in that have either driven 10 plus hours to get to us or have flown from Houston, Austin, Dallas. I mean, this is normal now. It's the new abnormal. (laughs) (laughs) This is the norm. Like we are constantly every single day seeing people come from all over the place, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Texas, Mississippi, to get care that should be available to them within their communities. I just can't imagine how traumatized I would be if I needed an abortion, having to add on this travel issue. It does seem to me like, and again, that abortions are really safe and they're safe in a way they weren't in 1973, right? Like Totally, totally, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so, you know, people... I think what you're getting at is this sort of like post-row narrative, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so, so people remember the before times, before 1973, septic wards, people trying to do procedural abortions on themselves or on other people with not in not safe manners. So we're beyond that now, which is so amazing, right? We have the abortion pill. So mifeprex and mesoprostol are going to be, I think, a lot of the ways that people without access to abortion will be accessing abortion. And I think you'll see people do more and more of that um, either through the internet or, you know, border crossings or the fact that self-managed abortion is so incredibly safe. And every time it's been studied, it's shown to be incredibly safe, just as clinic abortion care is. The fact that people are going to be accessing that more will mean that there will be less of this like septic abortion coat hanger narrative. However, The problem with denying people abortions and making abortions so vastly inaccessible throughout certain parts of the country is that the people that are most disadvantaged, the people that are of the lowest economic status are going to be the people that have trouble accessing abortion and therefore can't access abortion. And guess what? Those people are the least healthy people in our country. They need the most intensive medical care, usually when they're pregnant as a large group. Um, And I do think eventually, and this will take years, it's not going to be like something immediate, you know, eventually you will see an increase in the maternal mortality rate in these parts of the country where abortion is not accessible because, you know, wealthy people are always going to be able to access abortion no matter where it is. People that are of low income, people of color, you know, these are the people that are going to be most heavily affected by abortion restrictions. And so those are the people that are going to have the most complicated, medically complicated pregnancies and the most dangerous pregnancies for them. Right. And also, I mean, a lot of these states have very high maternal fetal death rates. Absolutely. Yeah. These Republicans are setting themselves up. Right. We had a really good documentary filmmaker on here Tanya Lewis-Lee, who talked about how women of color are, you know, three times or four times more likely to die in childbirth than white women. And these are the people who are being denied access to care. Yeah, it's I mean, that is a very, very problematic situation that the 
anti-abortion legislatures throughout the country have created for themselves and the Supreme Court has created. There's no, we don't have the programs in place. We don't have the implicit bias training. We don't have the social and welfare programs in place to improve on that as quickly as we will need to in order to ensure that, you know, there won't be such a spike in maternal mortality rate. But that's my expectation is to see that. And that's really, really devastating in a completely different way than the pre-Roe situation. It's interesting because it's like, I do feel like overturning Roe has created a slew of really tragic circumstances that are sort of not exactly what we thought they would be. Tell me what you mean. What I mean is the doctors who refuse to treat and the women who will die, who wouldn't have otherwise carried a pregnancy because they were worried because they'd had five kids or whatever, because their uterus was, you know, I mean, I know for me, just speaking, I never talk about my own situation, but I had these very large twins and my doctor said, you know, you cannot take it. You cannot have any more pregnancies. You can't have any more pregnancies because your uterus, it's just dangerous for you. Yeah, it's tired. Right. I have to assume there are other women in the rest of the country who've had doctors say things like that to them who would have gotten an abortion but now can't. Yeah, absolutely. That is super problematic and will lead to a lot of bad health outcomes. And I do think like there will be in, you know, it's going to take a long time though. That's the issue, right? Right. Like how often do they report maternal mortality rates? I don't know. I'd have to look that up, but it's not going to be like in a year, you know, it's going to be there's going to become, I think, a larger, a large disparity between places that have easy access to abortion, perhaps where Medicaid pays for it. So abortion is essentially zero cost to the patient versus these places where the state is so large and it's so hard to get out of, like, for example, Texas, that, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that can't afford or can't manage to leave the state to get care. And I think you'll see that gap widen like over as the years go on, as they keep reporting the maternal mortality rates and you can look it up state by state, but I don't think it's going to be apparent super quickly. And so the Republicans kind of have, you know, like a little bit of time to get their shit together, but it's going to take a lot. Yeah. And they don't want to. And we know that won't happen, right? These are not the people that support social welfare programs. Right. And like, oh, schools, you know, they want they don't want to teach critical race theory, like actual history. They're like, we want to teach white people history and right. math and whatever. Right. Creation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm curious. Are you seeing like. We saw in Texas a woman get arrested when she, you know, and there there was an arrest for a stillbirth. Like, are you seeing that kind of thing or no? There is a woman in Oklahoma that we all knew about in prison for manslaughter. Her name is Brittany Pula. She's a native woman. And she had, I think, a 15 or 17 week, like some mid-trimester IUFD. She also happened to be using methamphetamine. She was put in front of a jury and they convicted her of manslaughter. So she's in prison for four years now. And this is a great example. And then the Lazelle thing, the Lazelle case in Texas, it's like, these are people that are not white people. They're being persecuted for pregnancy outcomes. And that's exactly what Republican lawmakers say they're not going to do, right? They're like, we're not going to arrest the, we're not going to arrest the pregnant woman. Like, we're just going to put the doctor in jail. But the problem is that in order to actually make abortion stop, you either have to criminalize the doctor or the patient. Like this vigilante bounty hunter stuff, it's it's really hard to enforce as we've seen. Like, but what's easy to enforce is like, oh, you were at this clinic at this time and now you're not pregnant anymore. Right. You must have had an abortion. Or like, yeah, criminalizing doctors. So that is, I mean, that is something that I massively worry about. And it's also something that all the 
anti-abortion people are like, that's not going to happen. We're not going to do that. But the thing is that like, it's already happening. Well, they've already scared people, right? So right. doctors won't treat, then it doesn't even matter because these women are going to die. Are they going after, it seems like there are some places where these white Republican men know so little <laughs> about the female body. They are going after IUDs and morning after pills. You know, there was an instance in our area where a major hospital system said they're not going to offer emergency contraception right. to, to rape patients, to, to patients in general on the Missouri side because they were so worried about the laws in Missouri. We all know that emergency contraception is not an abortion. So they reversed their position after oh, I good. think they received a lot of backlash. But it is these sort of uninformed decisions like this and like reactionary decisions that are dangerous for patients. And that's how these things get conflated. And that's what I was talking about at the beginning where like, we're just allowing the government to control what the definition of these things are by like yeah. making these changes. Right. And like, that's not okay. Like I'm a doctor, I get to decide <laughs> what's an abortion and what's not an abortion. Like after all, I went to a lot of school about that. <laughs> <laughs> so I think by like, just like giving the government so much I don't know. I don't want it to sound like I'm going to like break the law, but giving the government so much credit for knowing what they're talking right. about, which they don't, which they definitely don't. That's problematic. Like we need to reclaim and take control of that narrative of like, we are the medical community. We know what an abortion is. We know what an abortion is not. And like, we're going to practice medicine in the way that we were taught and learned in medical school and residency. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And fellowship for some highly achieving people. <laughs> <laughs> are you seeing people where they've taken risks with their own health, where they've tried to do stuff that has hurt them or no? Um, I have not, personally. I hope that I won't. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, it's possible. And it's, you know, the anti-abortion lawmakers are making it more probable that, like, we will see something like that, unfortunately. I mean, it's just absolutely beyond the pale. Yeah, it's sick. Yeah, it's really depressing. Thank you so much. I hope you will come back. Yeah, anytime. I always like talking to you. <laughs> well, the feeling is very mutual. <laughs> Thank you. Tim O'Brien is Senior Executive Editor of Opinion at Bloomberg. Welcome back to the new abnormal Tim O'Brien. Molly J. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we find ourselves once again back at the uh, storied Winter White House, Mar-a-Lago. Which we should remind people is a club because he couldn't afford to keep owning it. And he still runs it as a business. And he basically rents a room there. Yeah. <laughs> at the Winter White House. I mean, we know that Trump has been served a subpoena. Or not a subpoena, a warrant. Right. A search warrant. Yeah, because they already served him a subpoena to force him to return like 15 boxes of National Archives records on national security grounds. And then apparently the National Archives and the FBI and the Justice Department presumably got word that he didn't return everything. They had suspicion that it was significant and classified and that he wasn't going to turn it over via subpoena. So they went to a judge and they said, this is what we believe is in a safe at Mar-a-Lago and we want to get our hands on it because it's, it's classified information and he shouldn't have taken it. And he's ignoring our subpoena, so we're going to execute a search warrant, which they did. Is there a mole in Trump's private club in Palm Beach in August? Is there a mole there and who is it? 
You know, the dramatist in me wants it to be Melania. There's no way she's in Florida in August. Right. I, you know, but, but somebody told the feds that there was a safe there because that wasn't common knowledge and became even more common knowledge because in Trump's tragicomic way of communicating with the world, he told everyone that the FBI broke into his safe when he issued his own release about it. But yeah, clearly there's somebody either who was involved with his transition from the White House to Mar-a-Lago or who works for him currently who gave this information up. I think what's more compelling is this ridiculous sideshow that's emerged in the wake of the search, which is that he's being unfairly targeted and that this is political, which of course, no president and no U.S. citizen is above the law. And this is a common legal practice and a prosecutorial practice. And 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 the Justice Department and the FBI are enforcing the law. Um, and the idea that somehow Trump shouldn't be subjected to the same laws as everyone else is ridiculous. If he wants to prove they had no reason to go down there and break into his safe anyway, he can release the search warrant and, and the right. contents of what they took from the safe. And I suspect he won't because... The list probably includes a number of classified items plus porn videos and a stack of rubles. <laughs> Why would he want that to become public? So here's a question for you. What is in Al Capone? I mean, Donald Trump's safe. I don't think it's billions and billions of dollars. No, I don't think so. Either. And it's clearly something he doesn't want the world to know about or he would let the world know about it. He could he could end this argument now and he doesn't want to because I think um, he's embarrassed by what's in there and it serves his purposes to have this debate go on about whether or not he's being unfairly targeted. Obviously, there's a lot we don't know here. But what do we think? I think you'd have to rewind and say what kind of classified documents would he not want people to see or to become part of the historical record? You know, everything that's said in the Oval Office is classified, so it's a voluminous number of documents and, and topics. But I just wonder if some of it has to do with some of the things he got impeached around, having to do with trying to strong-arm Vladimir Zelensky, Ukraine's leader, into digging up dirt on Joe Biden prior to the 2020 election, you know, and any and any of that documentation that might undermine the, the arguments that his party and he made for why he shouldn't be impeached. But I really don't know. I think it's speculative right now. It seems like there's been a lot of tightening of, you know, you've got two of Pence's people going in and talking to a grand jury. You have some of Trump's people going in. I mean, it definitely feels like they're coming for something, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think there's now unmistakable evidence, you know, in the public realm that the DOJ and, and you know, in Rudy's case, it's, it's you know, prosecutors in, in Georgia more most recently. But that, you know, there's been grand juries, uh, a federal grand jury convened to look at at this whole issue around the creation of, of fake electors and pressure placed on Mike Pence to not certify the electoral count. So it looks like Merrick Garland's Justice Department is is finally, its wheels are finally moving. And the debate now, I don't think the debate any longer is really, did Donald Trump break any laws or is there enough evidence to investigate whether he did? It's, it's whether or not Garland can can convince a jury that Trump broke the law and what the consequences of that should be if he does. Everything else is noise. And there's such chaos right now and a lack of clarity about what right. people value in the political debate and blah, blah, blah. But we're a nation of laws and laws were created to so order out of chaos and to keep all of us and our most base instincts in check lest they get out of control. And this is a moment when you want people who enforce the law to just stay by their lights and play their jobs and not enter in or listen to 
the political and social noise. The thing that a lot of people I talk to in my world, um, the sort of debate going is, is this just the presidential records or is this more? Why does it matter? Because to me, this is just one moment in the larger pageant of the prosecution, impossible prosecution of Donald Trump. And it's the, possibly the least consequential stuff. To me, the, everything related to trying to stage a coup around January 6th is more substantive. Right. But I mean, the, the question is, like, Merrick Garland doesn't do something like this lightly, right? Oh, right. Yes, I would agree with that t- totally, Molly. And he is such a by-the-books prosecutor and legal thinker. I don't think he would do this without thinking about the ramifications. I think they should think about, though, being better explaining these things after the fact when messaging around it gets taken over by Trump, then Fox News, then the MAGA wing of the GOP. And they're able to characterize it as banana republic shenanigans. And the Justice Department is sort of left a void in how to characterize their own legal action. One of the things we're seeing out of Trump world, and I'm curious what you think of this as someone who has actually, like, has been in the Trump ecosystem. I've been in Mar-a-Lago with him and Melania. Oh, God, I'm sorry. (laughs) There's a lot of, like, you made us hit you kind of stuff, right? Like, uh, Jason Miller said yesterday that uh, Trump, that this has made Trump decide he was going to run. And he wasn't sure he was going to run before, but now he was sure he was going to run because this was all Merrick Garland's doing. Can you explain to our listeners, like, this is sort of a Trumpy thing to do, right? Yeah, to play the victim, right? Well, and also just to say, like, you've done it. Like, you're a victim, I'm a victim, and now I'm going to get back at you. Right. You've tried to enforce the law, and now that is causing me to want to run again. And by the way, this is coming from the Law and Order Party, right? The GOP. Right, exactly, exactly. And they're saying, gosh, we don't like this you're enforcing the law. I think Trump has been finding various reasons for wanting to run again, not because his heart is in it, but because one, his wallet is in it. He makes good money off of the possibility. His ego is in it because he stays center stage in the media spotlight. And thirdly, now his legal survival and his personal survival are in it because I think he thinks a presidential run will insulate him from the long arm of the law. That has to get tested. I'm not convinced that's true. You know, I think he still pulls really strongly and he still is a magnet for GOP money. That's been softening. You know, he doesn't have a golden touch in any of the nominees. He's backed in other races, candidates he's backed in other races. But there is an age old Trump yarn that the family always spins about being unfairly targeted and we will get back at you. It started with Fred Trump, Donald's father who got investigated for housing fraud at both the federal and the state level, and it ended his career as a builder. And the narrative inside the Trump family wasn't that Fred Trump did anything illicit. It was that, oh, big institutional government wouldn't let dad get rich and took away his way of making a living. And Trump himself used this for years against Ed Koch when he was mayor, against Wayne Barrett when Barrett was investigating him as a reporter. And then more recently, Judge Curiel, Robert Mueller, and now Merrick Garland. And the reality is this is a guy who gets into serial trouble because he's serially lawless. But he's developed a narrative that works in terms of responding to it. And people like Jason Miller have absorbed that, I think. Yeah, Jason Miller is like, I mean, he's practically a member of the Trump family at this point. He makes a living off of it. He'd be broke otherwise. Right. I mean, almost all these people would be broke otherwise, right? Yeah. It's either they're craven because they want the money or they're craving because they think they can 
turn him to achieving their own ends. But it's never because they're in it for ethical or value-driven reasons, I think. One of the things that I saw today was this, there was actually a piece about how Republicans are have really gone so far from policy. And it, it did remind me of Trump's 2020, the Republicans' 2020 platform which was on an index card. Which there wasn't a 2020 platform. Oh, right. There was in, index card was 2016 and then 2020, they just gave up. 2020, they were just like, nah, you don't need a platform. <laughs> and I think that's indicative of how they've decided that, that the best path to power is, which it's no longer around classic conservative, you know, policy points like lower taxes, a conservative court and a hawkish foreign policy. It's around sensationalized um cultural issues and white nationalism and explicitly racist and conservative cultural touch points that they know motivates a big portion of that party. So it's about abortion and wokeism and anti-immigration and, and race and, and everything but policy, which is why, and that, so, you know, Mitch McConnell saying we're not going to bring a platform to this party is a recognition that that's not how they acquire power anymore, I think. There's been a lot of writing this morning, uh, or I've read a couple things about this, that, that the mainstream media has had a lot of trouble figuring out how the news side, not the opinion side, because obviously we never do anything wrong on the opinion side. But <laughs> It's also easier for us on the opinion side, frankly. Much. Yeah. But on the news side, there's been a lot of trouble, certainly with the titling and also with some of the sort of you know, the the more nuanced stuff about how how do you sort of talk about this raid without talking, without perpetuating a Republican narrative? Why is it so hard for us in the mainstream media to get this right after so long? Well, one, I mean, I also think that, that you know, the media needs to be attuned to the power of language and it wasn't a raid. To begin with, it was a search. Right. And Trump called it a raid to begin with to make it sound like it was a bunch of bootleggers who ran in through his front door, you know, to take away his candy. And I think sometimes the media is is slow to recognize that they're propagating certain terms that have a power in and of themselves. I would say raid in this one is one of those. And I made that mistake too, frankly, by the way. I think in one of the first things I wrote, I used the term raid and then I thought about it. But I think the larger issue is that Donald Trump is a habitual liar and sensationalist and conventional media norms around covering someone who lies all the time and then has a network of people around him who immediately after an event also lie and use the same talking points. If you have to cover that event, one, how do you cover it by telling the truth, which is that they're misrepresenting what occurred and they're trying to propagandize it, which is the correct way to cover it as opposed to Trump says this, but law enforcement says that. Right. And around someone like Trump, that's not a useful construct. It's amazing that we're still having this problem after such a long time. But I do know that I myself, too, we're very reactive with our language. And sometimes we just have to slow down, I guess. And it's very hard, I think, for classic beat reporters because you are trying to get information from the inside of institutions. You don't want to become beholden to them and just have proximity to power as a way to get stories. If you're completely distanced from them, you never learn what's going on if you're writing on a daily basis, which a lot of newspaper reporters have to do. And just the nature of the job makes it hard to always have the perfect construct for the analysis. And, and I think people who don't do beat reporting don't understand that. 
And the conclusion is the reason these stories look the way they do is because the reporter's in the tank or the reporter isn't sufficiently critical. When the reporter is trying to put a construct around a story that gets towards the truth, even if that construct is flawed, which I think it is. Oh, that's such an important, important point. Thank you so much, Tim. Thank you, Molly. It's always fun. Andy Levy. Molly Jongfest. I, wait, I have to get something to eat. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Is it segment time? It is our segment. Do you want to know who my fuck that guy is? I do. City, it's rare that we get to council members, right? You really have to be a piece of shit to get, for us to go in our national political podcast down to council members. And it's even a lower, or should I say higher bar for the uh, Salt Lake City County Council member because, okay, I mean, right? Like, I flew in that airport. It's a great airport. But I love Salt Lake City, and don't get me wrong, and Evan McMullen is my buddy. But I'm just saying, it takes a lot for us to pluck a city council member up for our ire. But today we have Dave... Alvard, no one knows. He says that fetuses, by the way, I love white Republican men have the greatest theories about fetuses. They're they really all do. right there. I mean, like, they must just spend all their time thinking about fetuses, right? Like, you're like, what are you doing, honey, thinking about fetuses? <laughs> So he says, and again, I had been I had been wondering this myself as someone who's had three children, that fetuses are not part of a woman's body. Now, again, you are thinking, well, they're in your body, so aren't they? But no, sorry, guys. Luckily, we have this white Republican county council member to tell us what a fetus is. Uh, it's not part of the mother's body because the umbilical cord and the placenta do not connect directly to the woman. As someone who has had now placentas and umbilical cords connected to my uterus, I would like to say that they do in fact connect to the woman. With my second set of of kids, I actually, they couldn't even, it was a whole thing. And they're quite connected. And the more times you get pregnant, the more connected it gets. And so in fact, you are a fucking idiot, Dave Alvord of the Salt Lake County Council Go fuck yourself, you fucking idiot. You left out the best part, though, because after he says the baby is not part of the body of a woman, and then he says the umbilical cord and placenta do not directly connect to the woman, his next sentence is, the baby floats inside the woman. Yeah, it's like a hot tub. (laughs) It's like they're in some sort of zero gravity situation. And I think he's thinking maybe of the end of 2001, A Space Odyssey. Maybe he had just watched that when the the big star child baby comes back to Earth. But I did some digging for you, Molly, because I had a feeling you would pick this guy. It turns out he is not an OBGYN. Really, I'm shocked. Because I was sure that a guy like that, such a fucking idiot, would be a doctor. But no. I I just wanted to make sure that you and our listeners knew that he is not uh, Dr. Dave. So he is is simply a... Dr. Dipshit. (laughs) Yes. Not a doctor, just a dipshit. Uh, tell us, Andy Levy, who is your fuck that guy? My fuck that guy is a favorite of yours. He's from the Commonwealth of Virginia. He is, I believe, as of a couple of years ago, or maybe one year ago, he's the governor of Virginia. Uh, his name is Glenn Youngkin. Oh, tell me more. 
Does he wear a red fleece vest? He wears a red fleece vest, which sets him apart. So you know he's not one of those, you know, he's not one of those MAGA crazies. He's just a, uh, he's just an ordinary Republican, you know, just a meat and potatoes Republican who who would never do anything bad. And uh, except it turns out that he made himself a lot of money back in 2020, close to $9 million worth of stock from the Carlisle Group that he was the uh, co-chief of, executive of. And uh, that's uh, on top of the $54 million in compensation he got from them in the, in the two years prior to that. He's just uh, somehow he did such a good job that he got all this extra money and he didn't have to pay taxes. And he didn't have to pay taxes on. <laughs> I mean, yes. yeah, you know, I mean, it's important for people with multi-million dollars not to have to pay taxes because, God forbid, wealthy people fund roads, bridges, education. I mean, that's not what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah, I mean, it's so annoying. I mean, these people are, like, if you are so committed to destroying the federal government, perhaps you should not be serving in it. You would think, but that's not how this country works. Uh, apparently, that is not what the founders intended, Molly. Yes. As a strict constructionist, you, I, I know that you want everything to be done the way the founders intended. Of course. I'm a textualist. Yes, you are. My understanding is the founding fathers intended for people to get very, very rich as part of their political lives. And, yeah, that's and my dream. That it, it's not so much about serving the people as it is about getting served. Anyway, so yeah, fuck that guy. He is just another Republican hack and there's nothing good about him or moderate about him. He's just a bad dude. Fuck him. Yeah. On that note, we'll wrap this episode of The New Abnormal from The Daily Beast. In future episodes, we'll be talking to smart folks from The Daily Beast and beyond from media, culture, politics, and science, will help us understand what's happening to our country and the world. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and share the show on social media. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again on the next episode. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.